This is the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our mission is to connect people to the outdoors, to each other, and to themselves. I'm your host, Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. And I'm Ben Brandell, your fellow adventurer and outdoor expert. We're here to tell stories, share our experiences, and be your friends as we seek to deepen our relationship with God the Creator. Every episode, we'll share stories and practical tips to enhance your outdoor experiences, whether it's hiking, hunting, fishing, or simply finding a quiet spot to listen to God. We've got you covered. So whether you're a seasoned outdoorsman or just getting started, the Men to Be Outdoors podcast is here to help you be more confident and confident. Subscribe now and let's make every outdoor moment count. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian. This is my co-host, Ben. And in today's episode, we are talking about trapping. We've got some of our traps laid out here that we're going to be talking about. I trapped really heavily for several years, and I want to share those experiences along with Ben's survival mind in the trapping world. But before we get into all the details, we need to give thanks. I want to give thanks to men and women that share what they're feeling when God presents it to them. It's really easy to to maybe buy into the lies, um, to be scared to share what God's placed on your heart. But, um, you know, when you're going through social media, from TikTok to Instagram, Facebook, as you're going through there, you are going to encounter people that are sharing what God has placed on their heart. And that's encouraging um, because on the flip side, you can go through all that social stuff and find nothing but um, filth, uh, just constant filth and and uh, so to have those men and women that are, are sharing God's truth, um, thank you. Keep it up. And uh, we need more people like you. Yeah, it, it takes courage to do that publicly. Yeah. And it also takes courage to do it, to kind of answer that conviction, because a lot of times there are those lies. Like, well, we can feel the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and in our minds. Um, and as long as we're in the Word and we're in prayer, when we feel those things, we can trust that it is the Holy Spirit. Uh, if we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit in in our bodies inhabiting us, then we can trust its guidance. But there are so many things, the devil, TV, our own natural oh, yeah. sin nature oh, yeah. that comes in and tells us, ah, that's probably not true. Or, man, if you share that, somebody might say this about you. So when people do come out and share truth about our Savior with conviction, there's a lot of value there, and, and maybe more people should be. Yeah, they should, for sure. Maybe they should be. Mm-hmm. What I am thankful for today uh, is something that honestly ha- is growing in controversy, and that's antibiotics. And the reason I'm thankful for that today is my youngest son, he's two, and he has been so sick. I mean, high fevers, and you could just tell he's in pain, and really no answer of of how to help him. Well, then one day he says, my mouth hurts. And I look in the back of his throat and he has all these sores. And I mean, just breaks your heart because you know he's in pain. He can't even really communicate. He doesn't want to eat. He doesn't want to drink. Take him to the doctor and they found that he has a really, really bad ear infection so much that it's going down into his throat and mouth. Um, And really to have antibiotics to take care of that and like... (laughs) When you have your kid that you love so much, you just want to help them, you don't even really care that there may be side effects from the antibiotics. Like, what else would there be to do? Just let them be sick? And in right. a time, yeah, that used to be the truth. They just had to be sick, and I don't know if they would eventually just die or they eventually got over it. I have no idea. But to be able to give them something and after a couple doses see the relief I'm so thankful for that because it is hard to see the people you love hurt, especially when you can do something about it. Yeah, and, you know, there's a fear on the other side of, like, uh, are we overusing antibiotics and so on and so forth. But honestly, if we look over the ages, I mean, God has always supplied what we needed in the time that we needed it. And, and yeah, I mean, maybe there are people that are overusing it, perhaps. Um, but whatever we need in the future will be provided for, um, whether that be a— New antibiotic, a new whatever, right? Yep. So, you know, everything that you see, like, uh, there were fears 60, 70 years ago of a plague would hit Earth and, and kill man. Um, you know, there was a fear that asteroids were going to come and and hit. And the fears that we have today are different. Like, those fears aren't even currently here it's a new fear and and maybe even it's getting into ai people are scared of ai but you'll see that every time that we fear 
what's unknown in the future. We don't even know what we don't know. So right. why I'm saying all that is, is to be honest, God's God's gonna take care of what He needs to take care of in the moments that it needs to be taken care of, and and uh, we need to move forward. We should be diligent and be stewards of what He is giving us. It isn't yeah. just to use it willy nilly, thinking of antibiotics or trapping yeah. for that matter. Any of these things, we should be good stewards of it. But maybe some of our fears are a little unwarranted, or maybe we we exaggerate and take them a little too far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is because in the day of marketing, that is the point. Right. You create a problem so that you can give a solution to make money off of. And so you have to be cautious and and aware of that. Well, trapping, much like antibiotics, can be a little controversial. It is, yeah. I mean, it's really, honestly, I feel like it's very misunderstood. Like, once I've explained it to people, even out other outdoorsmen that are just kind of like big X on, on trapping, once I've explained and showed them how it really works and how difficult it really is and what actually happens to the animal, I see people's minds change towards trapping. Um, but a lot of people just know the history. They see what's in the movies with the big teeth and, and bloody traps that come. And that isn't the truth, especially with all the awesome equipment that we have today that we're going to cover. And so that's why I really wanted to do this episode. It's cold outside, which is a great time to trap. It is currently trapping season in most of the states. They call it fur bear season. Uh, So this is a perfect time of year to be talking about it. And really on, on your side, Ben, it is a great survival skill. If you watch Alone or any of these shows, like, they're all attempting in some way to set up traps, whether it's fish traps or, or rodent traps. It is a great way to minimize energy use and maximize energy that you get back. Mm-hmm. Really kind of because you're passive hunting. So trapping is a skill that is going by the wayside. It, it used to be a skill in the past that all kinds of ranchers and farmers, really all outdoorsmen knew how to trap. And I don't believe that is truth today. I was fortunate enough that God blessed me with opportunities to learn from, I mean, people that are really, really, really good at it, better than I am today. But I've been able to take and pass on some of those skills. And that's kind of why we're doing this today. Yeah, I mean, the reason that you may say that they're better than you today is because it's our lifestyle. And that's what trapping is. It is a lifestyle if you want to um, get good and be good at it, um, to be confident and competent in it. It's a lifestyle. It's just like, I mean... Kids today are playing, you know, card games like Pokemon. Um, when I started getting into that with my child, just to maybe help him to learn, because it was something we could do together. It is a lifestyle. You have to learn about every character, about every play. It's it's confusing to me, but it's it's a lifestyle. Yeah. And and just like trapping, like there are going to be people that are better at it because they're living, breathing, and getting up every day and going and doing it. Yeah. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to learn through people that it was their job. Right. That is what they did every single day right. and all different types of habitats and environments and all different species of animals. And what a blessing that was. They Just their experience to be able to share and pass that down. I'm so thankful for that, um, and I'm glad that I have the skill, and, and I, I love to teach it. You know, when we go to some of these outdoor schools or universities that they have a huge catalog of classes, that's one that I always want to offer because I believe it is a dying skill of outdoorsmen that I want to keep passing on through generations. Yeah. Um, and even locally, we've been seeing on Facebook some families that we know that their kids have been getting into it, and that's really encouraging. It is. It's actually fun to watch their story through yeah. the social, yeah. Really yeah. cool. You say it's a lifestyle, and that's really like, that is the history of trapping. And I want to cover kind of the history of it so people understand where it came from and to the point that it is today. And really, the the Native Americans did it out of necessity. I mean, it is how they got food. It's how they got fur for their clothes, for their hats, for their shoes. It honestly became currency, too, for them between other tribes. They could trade furs or even uh, that they would get fats and oils from some of these animals that were super valuable to them and to other tribes because fats and oils from animals are so important to physical health and they understood that that they would trade these things between tribes it really became part of their livelihood for native americans here in the u.s you know that that trade concept um you know the bison the animals they were using at time was their walmart you know i mean that's that's where they went to shop um but I guess the question I would have is, you know, the resources we have today when we go to Walmart, they're already pre-made things for us to use. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the natives were using what they could find around them and then turning that into ways to obtain more animals. Right. And 
And that is the tricky part for me. Like, you know, we're saying this is a lifestyle, but these men that are out really good at it, they're going and buying these. They're not really making their own traps at home. Yeah. And and that's when you get into even a deeper skill level, you know. I'm I'm lacking in that personally, but that's where I think you get into that survival mindset side of, of how am I going to make when I can't go buy. I was going to say, with, with all these fancy traps that we have today, like I'm, th- it is a difficult skill, yeah. to, especially, you know, to be able to use one of these footholds. It is a difficult skill, but imagine having to make something to be able to, to you have to make the trap. Like, yeah. That, yeah. That's incredible. And I have learned in the past and taught myself how to make some Paiute deadfalls and, and some of these primitive traps and then taught it to students. But because mm-hmm. I haven't obtained that over the years, I would have to go back and, and do a review yeah. if I were to go teach that right now today. Yeah. Could I? Yeah, but that it's one of those things. If it is not your lifestyle, if you are not doing it, you're going to have to practice to get back to yeah. get back into the swing. Of I mean, it goes all the way to the basics of what we teach in different classes is cordage. You're going to have to make cordage whether using plant or uh, sinew, you know, uh, what you're getting from a bison. And, and you're going to have to use that to add to your trap. Yeah. It, it's a, it is a lifestyle. I mean, you have to learn each part of what you need for a trap. Yeah. Well, for the Native Americans, it, it was life. It wasn't even really a lifestyle. It was life. Mm-hmm. Then the Europeans came to North America, and trapping even exploded more because during that 16th, century, 16th and 17th century time in Europe, fur was fashion. From beaver hats, that was like the most popular thing, to clothing and coats, Fur was so popular, so when they came here, guess what they wanted? Fur, and there was an abundance of wildlife, of fur bears. So they started trapping. Now you've got Native Americans, you've got the natives trapping, and the European settlers trapping. So guess what became the currency between the Native Americans and the European settlers? Fur. Oh, oh, fur, fur. fur, Everybody's trapping. This is now, it is their money. This is what they're trading back and forth. This is how they're interacting. And uh, so trapping is just really rocketing in the 16th, 17th century. But then what do the Europeans start to do? The Western expansion, more and more west. As we start going west to Colorado and Wyoming, Montana, some of these beautiful, beautiful states that are just super abundant wildlife, even today, but especially at that time. And you start to get all these folk legends that are trappers, and, and they've got movies made about them today. And Again, they're trapping to make money. It is their career. They're not trapping just to have food. They're now trapping because they are making money to make clothes. Um, And that really continued, and that's when we really started to see some of our wildlife populations uh, take a dip. And when beaver in particular uh, wasn't as abundant anymore, along about that same time came the advent of silk. And we started making silk hats and silk clothing, and that's when trapping started to kind of take its dip where it is in the present day you started to see all these fur prices go down but the good thing obviously that's kind of heartbreaking the good thing that came from that was that was the beginning of wildlife regulation that was kind of the beginning in north america of this awareness of whole we need conservation we need to wisely use these resources or we will not have them and i think that that is what we see in majority of of human life is something's there's a problem we, we we create a problem and then we're gonna have to figure out well how do we keep that from from getting worse and conservation wise use of our natural resources you know here in a little bit i'm gonna i'm gonna get into this again because because of the regulations that are being put on different species of animals there are things that are illegal um within trapping that maybe people yeah. don't think about they're yeah. not they're not aware of and so um yeah, I want to I want to talk about that here here soon. Trapping is highly highly regulated, and there's a lot of ethics that go into that, um, and that is what I think that non-trappers get wrong the most is what trappers are actually out there doing because what we see on TV isn't isn't the truth. You know, to kind of paint a picture in the in the 19th century, you you could be a trapper for a, a living. You you could do that, and today it's really difficult. Are there some out there? Yeah but it's few and far between, and they're hustling. They are traveling from state to state, from coast to coast, and they are trapping really for landowners to reduce predator populations. It's really why they're doing that. They're getting paid by the landowner to reduce these populations, not so much for the furs like it used to be. And the reason for that is because fur prices are so low. I want to share today's market, this year's market for fur prices, and then 
as I'm reading these, I want you to be thinking as you're watching or listening to this, how many of those animals would I have to catch yeah. and sell to make a living? I mean, what would you classify as a living today? Like a, a mediocre thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars? Yeah. So, you know, comfortably probably today thirty four to forty thousand. Maybe even forty two in that range yeah. for some people, but it, it does depend on your family size. Right. So let's just say forty thousand. Let's go I, with that. I think like the av- the median or maybe the even the average income in the US household is fifty three or fifty four thousand. So you'd have to catch a lot of animals when you hear these prices. I'm just gonna cover these aren't all the species that you, you can trap, but these are some of the most common. And the first that I've already mentioned multiple times is beaver. Now if you catch a beaver, which is a difficult task, a beautiful Beaver hide is worth twenty to thirty. No, not thousand. Twenty to thirty dollars. Twenty to thirty bucks. All right. So, I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. But you'd have to catch a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, coyote. Now I'm going to say an eastern coyote because really, uh, that's anywhere from from the east coast. I'm going to say into Oklahoma, Nebraska. We'll kind of make the line there of, of eastern versus western. So a lot of your trappers are going to be trapping those eastern ones, and that's all I've ever trapped. A really, really good, beautiful, no mange, full winter coat coyote, ten to fifteen dollars. Yeah, and and I see. I mean, thinking about like my experiences, I see more yotes than I do beaver. Yeah, you know. So realistically, I. $10 doesn't sound too bad, but I wish it was 20 <laughs> But you'd have to catch a lot. You'd have to catch like 10 of them to get 100 bucks. Yeah, right. Or 100 of them to make $1,000. Yeah, I mean, just thinking like that, I've not even seen <laughs> 10 coyotes today. Right, that'd be really, know? really difficult. Right. Um, raccoons, $5 to no market, meaning zero. Right. Now... Raccoons are one of the easier things to catch. They are pretty abundant. You can catch 50, 60, 70 of them a year pretty easily. Uh, but even that, if you got $5 for every single one, if every one was a big, beautiful pelt, you're not making hardly any money there. I mean, it, it just isn't going to add up to much for the amount of time that you have to put in. Now, Bobcat is probably going to be on your higher end of all of these. Here where we're at, you're probably talking 50 to to $100 for a Bobcat. If you're going to go out west and get a big, beautiful western cat, maybe two to three hundred dollars if it's in really, really good shape. But even at two to three hundred dollars, the how many bobcats are there and how many you would have to catch, you are not going to make any kind of significant income off of that. Yeah, and I'll add in here that even if there were two hundred bobcat, even if there were four thousand coyotes and thirty thousand beaver, yeah, you also are you're, out. You're having to drive, so you're spending fuel. You're spending time and energy to go out and do this. It isn't like, oh, every night I'm ending up with four or five of any of these, right? No. And then on top of that, the market value, that's great, but who is actually purchasing that and how am I getting it to them? Am I driving it to them? Am I shipping it to them? There's there's already a lot of money just in that right there's there. There's a lot I've, of expenses in yeah. it. Um, and for most people today, the amount of expenses that go into trapping will exceed. You'll be in the red. The expenses will exceed what you actually catch and what fur is actually marketable that you can take to market. So why trap? Then comes the answer. Like, what is the point? Of course, people aren't trapping if you can't make money at it. And the reason for that, really, for me, it is an incredible wildlife management tool. That's why I got into it. That's why I was taught it. I mentioned people that are making a living at it. That is how they're using it as a wildlife management tool. We see today that we have hunting seasons for rabbits, ducks, deer, turkeys, pheasants. I mean, all of these game species have hunting seasons, and we call that conservation because we are setting limits on how many need to be harvested, but harvesting that number is healthy for the population that we have because we are keeping them at a carrying capacity or below carrying capacity so that they have enough food, shelter, and water, right? That is conservation. We're wisely using that resource. But what about predators or beavers or otters, right? They don't have these hunting seasons for people to go out. And yeah, there's there's coyote seasons you can go out and hunt, but trapping is so much more efficient and effective at actually reducing a population. And that is what I don't know. I you know, you've told me some amazing stories 
of matter of fact, this wall behind us, you've shared before that within a, was it a year's worth of, or a season's worth that you could have covered oh, yeah. the entire wall, wall, wall with, with sure. how many yeah. you trapped? You know, that, on the survival mindset side, that would be a, a blessing. That would be a, <laughs> yeah. that would be a, an amazing year, you know, so. A lot of work goes into that, though. The amount of energy that goes into that and actually expended. I've got a cooler full of food in the truck, you know, and I'm driving to each location. I'm not hiking. I've got a, a truck bed full of all the gear that I need. And so you're not really in a survival situation because you're, you have everything with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it really fun. And, and that's why we're sharing this today of hopefully that you, um, this will spark an interest and in, in at least learn about it, um, educate yourself on it. And maybe you can find someone in your area that's doing it so that they can teach you how, so you can teach your kids how, or maybe you all go do it together. Cause it is fun. It is a, it's a fun experience. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the predator prey populations need to be in balance. We do have dominion. Scripture tells us we have dominion. Uh, we have all kinds of hunting seasons for the prey species, but hardly anything to control the predator species. And trapping is the tool for that. It is the number one tool for that. Hunting is great and it's fun, but you go spend all day out coyote hunting and you might get one or two coyotes. But a full season of trapping, you may get 5, 10, 15, 20 coyotes out of that population, really reducing the number of fawns, uh, turkey nests, quail, rabbits that these coyotes are taking out of the population, again, now boosting the game species. You know, you have told me that when you trap in a, in a certain location, when you remove some of those predators, it doesn't take too long before more predators within that area move in. Right. So I extensively trapped the same property for three seasons in a row. When I say extensively, I'm talking like over a hundred traps out, over different different kinds, but over a hundred traps out on a trap line checking them every single day, really the entire trapping season, which is like November through February. So it is long, 90 to 120 days. Traps are always out there. There's just steel out there for for these predators to get in. And every single year, within 10 or so, we'd get the same amount, like probably around 60 to 70 every single year. You could never eradicate a raccoon, an opossum, a skunk, a coyote, a bobcat, you could never eradicate those populations. What happens, and you'll start to see, uh, I'll call it the demographic of what you trap change. So for instance, the first year to go to a property and trap, you're going to probably have some older animals. You may get some older big female raccoons. And then the second and third year you trap, you're probably trapping more like one and two-year-old juvenile male raccoons who are moving into a new territory. But the numbers are still the same. That's that's wild. You know, you'd think that just going out and, and removing four or five, that that's going to impact, maybe severely impact that population. But that's hopefully what we're sharing with you today, that it is going to bring the numbers down. Right. But it is pretty small, especially because there aren't, there are not very many people doing it um, because of what we talked about, uh, this shift in, you can't make a living at it. The, and so the word is controlling, not eradicating. You, it, you can't eradicate, you never will. And right. that's what people think that trapping is. You're just trying to eradicate all predators. Even if you wanted to, you could not do that. You, it just isn't humanly possible. Uh, so it is controlling. And the inverse of what I just said about kind of keeping that number, if you do not trap, you will see it go up. Right. So trapping just controls it. It doesn't really keep it down. But if you don't trap, you will see numbers go up. You'll start to see more raccoons. You'll start to see more coyotes. If you take two or three years off trapping, you're going to trap another 10 or 20 plus than the years that you that you trapped consecutively. Perhaps this is why we are seeing more animals within our homes and businesses. You know, we get, uh, on our other business, um, our handyman service business, we see a lot of jobs that come through for um, animal removal. And I think the word is pest. Like, humans consider some of these animals pests. Yeah, whenever they come into our turf, they're now a pest. And that was the point I'm making here, that no animal is a pest. However, we identify these pests because they are becoming a nuisance um, within our, our businesses or our homes. You know, one I can think of that does impact people negatively is the skunk. <laughs> you know, they, they leave the stink. Um, you're going to have to trap them to control that population just like you are any other. So I don't have the number, but, but trapping a skunk is actually one of the better species to, to have in your trap. Most people will be like, you're 
crazy. But there are ways to effectively uh, dispatch them without getting sprayed. But what is so awesome um, about a skunk and, and also a beaver is that uh, with a skunk, you can harvest the essence. You can harvest the oil. And the reason it is so valuable is that it is used in perfumes and colognes. They really, they take the stink out of it, but because it is, uh, it bonds two molecules so well, you can actually take a hypodermic needle and extract it from those glands and fill those up and sell those for more than you can sell the skunk pelt for, which is probably about 10 bucks. Oh, I know what I'm getting my wife for Christmas now. Yeah, get her some skunk essence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that I don't want to leave out is if I'm going to trap, and the fur prices are fooey. What am I supposed to do with the fur? Now you can pay to have it skinned and tanned and give them away as gifts or use them as decorations, uh, wh whatever that may be, but that is going to cost you about 50 to $100 per mid-sized animal. So per bobcat, per coyote, per big raccoon, 50 to $100 to get that tan. So again, you're going more into the red. You can do it yourself. You can buy uh, tanning kits that like Bass Pro, or I don't know about Academy, but you can buy or order tanning kits. If you do it yourself, you're looking at probably about 25 bucks. That's actually not too bad. Not too bad. You know, but the time, whew, it takes a long time. Yeah, um, I ain't factoring any time in that. Uh, that's what I was going to say. So if, if the kit's 25 bucks for you to do it yourself, but it takes you three days, two to three days to, to do um, a few, um, man, it may be better to, to pay somebody 50 bucks that's already got all the tools, equipment, and space to do this. Right. Yeah. Another point that is probably, I should have probably started with this when I was talking about why trap today and why use it as a wildlife management tool is I want to stress that you should view it as a tool. The number one, the first step to every wildlife management plan should be habitat. Focus on habitat first. If you have good habitat, then your turkeys and your deer have places to put their nests, places to put their fawns and hide first. That is first. So if you're going to buy a property and your your first step to get more wildlife is to trap, then you are doing things out of order and you're not going to be as effective as getting your habitat in line first. Get your habitat in line and then start adding supplemental things using more tools like trapping to really enhance the populations of the game species that you desire. So you've been pointing a lot to the traps that we have on the table yeah. and, and for our listener that they can't see that um, there are some different styles of traps here. Um, I think it's important to share, you know, you use the word trapping in the very beginning. And when I was younger, that image that comes to mind is like you said, the big teeth, jawed slam traps where the, the woman is being chased through the woods. She's scared and she almost steps on yeah. the circle with teeth on the ground. Like that image is what I probably f would say most people are thinking of, you yeah. know. But when when you look at what we have here in front of us, I don't see I don't see any teeth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what is called a, a tooth trap is actually illegal. Right. You cannot use it in Missouri for any reason. Uh, the only real thing that they can be used for is decoration. You can go to a lot of uh, we have, gosh, where we live, there is a flea market. Do we have more flea markets or churches? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to drive down the street you and might, count. But yeah. they're, they're, for every church, there's definitely a flea market. And they most of them have some of those toothed traps up there. They're usually all rusty. You can't open them. The springs are cracked. But the reason they're up there is because they are illegal to use, as they should be, because it is causing damage. It is injuring that animal. If they escape it, they are Wounded traps today are either designed to completely kill instantly on contact or to just hold the animal to where you can actually release them if you wanted to. So can you trap on public land where, where anybody can walk around? You can trap on public land. You need to make sure because uh, some properties you can trap on and some you cannot. A lot of them that are closer to urban areas, you can't because of people's pets and and. Uh, you, that isn't really fun to catch those. Been there, done that, yeah. and, and that yeah. isn't the funnest experience. Yeah. Um, and then some of those properties require an additional permit. So you have to buy your trapping permit for uh, Missouri residents. It's $10. I think it's 192 for non-residents. Um, but on those, that's if you're going to go trap private property, that's all it is. It's 10 bucks. Yeah, and I, and I asked that question because people that are unfamiliar with trapping may think, well, 
I may come in contact with these out when I'm out exploring, hunting, whatever right. that may be. And, you know, if you were using the, the illegal style, it can bring severe harm to anyone or anything that gets in that, right? right. Whereas what we see here before us, um, well, let me, let me share a quick story. <laughs> I think, think I know what story you're going to share. <laughs> you know, these traps can bring harm um, to humans when setting them. Um, hopefully they bring instant, uh, use the word earlier, dispatch. You know, right. that's, that's, that's killing, death, quick, uh, it's fast. It's, you're, we're going to use the nice word of dispatch. Yeah. Um, but we don't want to bring harms, any harm to humans. However, Brian was teaching a group one time. And he was talking about the importance of setting these to where you don't hurt yourself. Right. And, and you were sharing with, you know, even if you accidentally did, um, they're really not, they're, they're not going to harm you in a way that is life-threatening. Right. You know, it would be like maybe walking through um, a rose bush patch where you're getting scratches and scrapes. <laughs> so after sharing this, you shared that a few times. I think, I think the... The students were really wanting to know, like, can this hurt me? Yeah. And you're like, not really. No, you know, maybe five minutes goes by and you're working on really setting that in your teaching and you're moving your hands around one that's already been set, which yeah. means that the spring is loaded. It's open. It's, I'll call it cocked. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's ready to trap. It's ready to trap. <laughs> and somehow, I don't know how, I didn't see it, but somehow you got your thumb. Yeah. You touched the uh, I, I the call pan, it pressure yeah. stick, the but pan. the pan, yeah, and it goes off, yeah, and it is now on each side of your thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Which this is the, this is the it, it was this trap right here. If you're on YouTube, it is uh, this actual trap, which is a Bridger number three. You know, two big coil springs on the back. I forget how many pounds of pressure, but but probably at least a hundred. And uh, yeah, I was I was caught like a coyote. And <laughs> the students were looking at me, not you. They were looking at me like, did he do? mean to do that? <laughs> you know, and at first I, I played it off like, yeah, he may have. Well, in the you know? past, I, I, and I was planning to for this group because that is one of the questions all the time is how bad does that hurt? And everybody's worried about the animal. And I'm like, no, guys, it's good. It's just like getting your hand pinched. And I usually will take my fingers and push down and hit the pan and let this let these jaws clamp on the pads of my hand right. with a leather glove on right and it's just like if you shook my hand really really stiff and didn't let go like <laughs> that's what it's like but in this instance yeah. it was just my bony thumb yeah. and it was actually down here right where the spring comes up so it's like the most pressure that you could get and I'm telling you it it hurt it hurt really bad <laughs> And I tried to play it off. You did. And you asked me at the end, was that on purpose or an accident? Because yeah. that looked like it might have been on accident. And I was like, yeah, I did not mean to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, after after we got finished cleaning up, we looked at your thumb and it, it pinched it good. It yeah. was bleeding. It it had, uh, it had... It broke the skin. Yeah. It broke the skin. Um, <laughs> but again, it didn't break my thumb. Correct. I didn't have to go get skitch, skitches, stitches. stitches. It was mm-hmm. just a little scrape. And... My knuckle, you know, right, the, that big knuckle at the base of your thumb, just nothing but bone. Yeah. It was sore for a few days, but that was a good story because that is the only time that I've... I wish I had video of it. I'd play it right now. If well, I did. it's tough. I mean, these traps are like, it, it's an art because you really have to get them to where they're not moving. You have to get them where they're completely disguised. It doesn't look like they're there. It really takes full attention. And while you are teaching a group of people who are hovering over the top of every move and you're trying to do this right, but also teach them. I don't really know what happened, but somewhere in there, my attention was not right, and I clipped that pan, and whoo! You got gotcha. you. It bit me. But you are alive today, so that's that is the point I want to make. That and I even have my thumb, and you have your thumb, <laughs> and that's the point I want to make again. Is is they can harm, but they're they're not going to be life threatening, and so um, this is a safe activity. It's a safe thing to do when yep. you are doing it correctly. <laughs> Well, mm. l- let me give another example. Uh, using a dupe number four trap, which is actually more pressure. It's the same size as that trap, but it has four springs instead of two, so it actually clamps down harder. Uh, caught a neighbor's dog one time, and this dog's foot was caught perfect on the pads, just like the trap is designed to do. The dog's foot, because it had been there overnight, it probably got caught early in the evening, checking the trap the next morning. It had swollen up because of restricting the circulation. So we released the dog. 
and literally like as he's walking down the road on this, you can see it coming back. You know, mm-hmm. you can see the swelling going down. Right. So was it uncomfortable for that dog? Absolutely. Was that dog completely fine? He was not harmed at all. Right. And and that's that's what you want. You know, when you're going out trapping correctly, um, you don't want certain species that may get caught in this. Yeah. Um, I have some family members that were are trapping off. Um, they were trapping for coyotes, and and you know I'm pretty sure how the story goes is they thought when they looked out when they were approaching it they thought that a bald eagle was in this thing. I've had that scare too. You know I think it ended up being a uh, like a turkey vulture. It was a larger bird. Yeah. But you know what happens? Uh, what happens? Well, what what? should you do if you come up upon one of your sets and there are animals in it that you didn't want in there that you weren't planning on on getting well uh again that really depends what it is um that that is one of the reasons that i don't like trapping over some people will trap over a carcass like over a carcass of a deer you just get so many things coming to that site uh that you'll get you'll you'll get things that aren't supposed to be in your trap if you're not trapping over carcasses and, and you are working and, and, and keying in on a certain species, the way you're setting that trap, you know, when, when you make a coyote set, it's so different from a bobcat set, even though you're using the same type of trap, you're really causing them to work like a coyote would work. So it, a coyote almost has to be the type of animal to set that off. But if for some reason I, I got the neighbor's dog in that, well, then I need to release that dog, and if I can't, if it's too mean, because even a nice dog is mean in a trap because they're scared, you need to go get your neighbor. And if you aren't man enough or woman enough to tell your neighbor, hey, uh, I accidentally got your dog in a trap, it's not injured, can you come help me get him released? Well, then, in my opinion, you shouldn't be a trapper. You mm. shouldn't be trapping. Okay. If you If you aren't willing to have that conversation, then don't trap. And by no means should you ever just take the easy route because nobody's watching and just dispatch your dog. To me, that shows a lack of integrity. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like there are people that um, you probably know that have done that. So thanks for educating people on that. Um, You know, you do have some different traps here in front of us. You also shared that uh, the neighbor's dog gets into these traps. Whereas sometimes you can't even get the coyote to, to get in that trap, right? But what are you using? I know that in this episode, we, we don't have time to cover how to use all of these and, and, and how to set each one of these right. and the locations for these. But will you quickly go over what we have here and then share this? Do you use food? Do you not use food? You know, you, you, you said you don't hardly set these over a dead carcass, right. um, you know, because you're going to be catching scavengers with things that are going to be looking for those dead things. So real quick, kind of where is placement? Do you use food? And what are these that we have here? Before I answer that, since I already hit once on one thing on the ethics of releasing dogs, I, I want to finish uh, my few points of ethics uh, before I lose uh, that, that feeling of that moment. Okay. Um, and, and to be able to release, if you're trying to trap bobcats or coyotes and you're, you could catch the neighbor's dog or cat, you need to have a catch pole. All trappers should have a catch pole because, like I said, even a dog that you know, that you know is nice, they may even be familiar with you, they are scared to death in a trap. They probably are in a little bit of discomfort. You need to have a catch pole, which is basically a pole um, with some type of cordage on the end that you can slip over their head. You can tighten it down and you can hold and take control of that animal while you release them. And then from the end of the pole, you can release the tension on that and they can go free and do their thing. That keeps them safe and you safe. It's kind of like what you see uh, if you watch movies, anytime uh, animal control pops out and they grab this stick and it always has a circle on the end of it, that that's a catch pole, mm-hmm. and all trappers should have a, a catch pole. Uh, the next thing on ethics is dispatching. If you are trapping to dispatch, if you are trapping to kill the animal, to have its fur, to reduce the population of predators, do it quick. The quickest way to do it is to shoot it right between the eyes with a 22 from close range. You can get low velocity 22 so that it doesn't have an exit hole, so you just have your one little entry hole. Make it quick. Don't shoot them from a distance because you're scared to get close. Don't shoot them from your truck because you don't want to get out in the cold. Don't take your trap and throw it in the pond and drown them. That is the most inhumane thing you could possibly do. Think about, honestly, it. think about yourself. How would you want to die? Would you want someone to hold you 
underwater trapped in a cage until you just couldn't stand it anymore? Or do you want someone to just end it just like that and you didn't even know what happened? You have a responsibility to be ethical even though you are taking this animal's life. When I hear, and there are trappers out there, I know of people today that will drown animals. It makes my blood boil, Ben. I mean, it absolutely makes my blood boil because you, you're you're taking you're not a sportsman at that point. You're, right. I don't I don't even know what to call you, but you shouldn't do it that way. Yeah. You just brought up another type of trap too. You just talked about a cage. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have one of these here in front of us, but um, I think to recap on this point that all of these are technically live traps. Uh, none of these traps that you're setting are dispatching the animal. Um, I do have trap. a conner bear up here. Oh, you do this have a, is a kill bear. trap. Yeah. Okay. So, in the ethics of that, explain to us then the difference between a conner bear, um, a live trap, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and inside live traps, you're going to have the cages, which I think a lot of people see those nowadays. That's what your pest control, your animal control, they're going to yeah. try to. That's what you see at the hardware store. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but w- there are also the traps you're talking about, like for uh, the coyote, you're trying to capture their leg right right it's or what their foot their foot right and so in the dispatch side of that if you're not using a trap that's killing the animal in the trap then when you are when you approach when you arrive you're going to have to be prepared to dispatch that Mm -hmm. animal and so and if if you can't do that then again don't trap don't trap right trap that's a good point or don't target species that you don't have the heart to do that to because Honestly, there are some that, that were difficult for me, that are, are difficult. When I walk up to them in the trap, it kind of makes me, uh, it is tough. Um, so if you're not prepared to do that, then trapping probably is not for you. Or use live trapping methods that you can release them if you're just trying to work on your woodsmanship. Because trapping is an amazing way to gain the woodsmanship and read the woods and trails and, and to learn all this how these animals interact with each other is an awesome way to increase your woodsmanship. So if you just want to trap to release animals, then make sure you're using live traps. But with kill traps and with uh, catch traps, the biggest thing to, to start with is to know your regulations. And that can even go back to the ethics. Buy your licenses, know the regulations, and follow them. Some states, for certain species, may ask for samples. I know for many years, Missouri was uh, uh, requesting the jaws of bobcats because they were doing an age structure study of bobcats. So adhere to those things. Yeah. Help your state. Right. They're, they're allowing you to do these things. Uh, it is a resource that they care about and you care about. So buy your licenses, follow the regulations, uh, do what they are asking you to do, and then you can feel good about what you're actually doing. But with kill traps, there are a lot of regulations with them. You know, for in Missouri, you have snares and conibears, and they are only to be used under water. They cannot be set on dry land. They can't be set over a hole uh, without special permit. You can put in a request during non-trapping seasons for nuisance species and use them. Um, I know in in my past, I spent several months using conibear traps on dry land because we had a special permit for nuisance groundhogs uh, because we had like literally a thousand groundhogs and we needed to reduce that population because it was devastating farmers' crops. Mm -hmm. And so you can get special use permits, but do know if you use a conibear trap, the second that this goes off and an animal goes through it, they are dispatched instantly just like that it's just as fast as a gunshot but it has to be used underwater for beaver for otters it cannot be used above ground which limits things like dogs cats people on public land getting caught in something that is so lethal right now when you're placing that in the water it's maybe hard for someone to see are there any kind of flags or tags or something you're supposed to put up in that area for for people so any trap that is put in the ground, anywhere, whether it's in the ground or in the water, has to have a trap tag on it with any person that is involved with that trap. So if you and I run in a trap line, both you and I need to have our name, conservation number, and information on that trap. Every single trap. If you have 200 traps and three people are using them, all three people on all 200 traps have to be on there. And yes, um, uh, there, you, you can put indicators up. Um, you should put indicators up, but there's kind of a, a, a tough balance there because you still want your trap to be effective, but you don't want people to get caught in it. You know, I want to ask this. It just came to my mind. Have you ever um, trapped a deer? Um, have you approached and a deer has been caught in any of these for, uh, in any of your sets? So when you're using foothold traps like this Bridger number three right here, deer are your worst enemy because they're, 
toothless, and because a lot of the them trap are, is toothless. The, the yeah. trap is toothless, okay. um, and a lot of them will actually be gapped to even reduce or rubber jawed to reduce pressure. Um, a deer's leg is slick and bony, and they are hooved. So all they do is completely trash your set, and your trap goes off, and you don't catch anything. So no, I've never caught a deer, but deer has set off a lot of my traps, and it's very frustrating. That's that's a good, that's that good, good to know. Question. That's a good, good question. Um, kind of the getting started. First, got to plan time, Ben. I mean, you mentioned that this is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, man. The, the rules and regulations, just to follow them, you have to check your traps every single day. So if you're a working man or woman, you're either going to have to go before work or you're going to have to take off work to do it. A lot of people who trap rec- recreationally will take off like a Friday and a Monday and trap for four days and then pull their traps out of the ground. But it's so much work. Like you want, you go put a, a set out, you want it to stay there and passively work for a week, two weeks at a time. But it is hard in today's modern society to make time out to check it every single day. Right. Once you've cleared the time, to be able to check the traps every day, you have to decide where you're going to trap. Is it your property? Is it a neighbor's property? Are you going to public land? Then you need to decide what species am I targeting. I suggest to start small, start what I'm going to say honestly is easy. It's beginner level. Get a cage trap, which is a live trap, just like you see at the hardware store. You open the door, you put some bait in the back, and the animal goes in. And You, you can get several different species of animals that way. Um, they are the easiest. They're the easiest, I think, yeah. to use. I mean, I've used them frequently. Uh, I've caught a lot of animals in it, so um, that is a easiest and best way to get started. You know, I mean, people can just go buy those and catch nuisance animals around their house. Um, there are some tips and tricks that you can use to get better, like staking them or cabling them off, or how you present the bait in them, or even doing a little uh, what you call like a Hansel and Gretel trail of marshmallows out the door to to lead them right in. You know. There are things that you can learn. There's better quality traps. There's I have I have trapped raccoons in low quality, the cheap ones, and they've literally busted or eating through the metal and gotten out of them. So, wow. so wow. Uh, Duke cage trap is probably my favorite hands down cage trap I've ever used. Because of the gauge, the quality. The, the gauge yeah. of metal, and they have a gravity fed door instead of a spring door, which reduces failure. And once that gravity is shut, as long as that trap does not roll over. They cannot open that door. That is probably why that is my favorite. So I highly suggest the Duke traps. We're not affiliated with them in any way. It's just my favorite cage trap that I've ever used. They have several different sizes. Um, The next step up from the cage trap is what I'm going to call a a dog-proof trap. This is a Bridger T3 right here. Again, Duke makes their dog-proofs, which are really good. I've used a lot. What is awesome about this is you're going to eliminate a lot of those non-target species. Um, They're going to use the same kind of bait, maybe some cat food or marshmallows or some tuna fish or something like that. Um, One thing, probably the best tip I can give you for these is to get an empty soup can and cover it up once it's set. It will keep that bait longer and a raccoon will actually be able to come remove that can and the shiny will attract raccoon where other species, maybe uh, crows or... Uh, skunks or I don't know there's other species that won't be able to or won't be enticed to remove that can like a raccoon will so uh, a crow do they they get their foot stuck in there a crow (laughs) what usually happens if you don't cover them Mm -hmm. a crow will stick their beak and head in there set the trap off and they're caught by their beak and head and then the raccoon comes by and eats the crow and all you have left is a crow head right right which is a You've got a lot of those stories, but that's not what you're wanting. No, that's like, not what you're that, hunting for. That's not what you want. Trapping so, for. So put the can on there uh, and, and maybe even put a rock on top of it so that the crow can't flip it off because the raccoon will. They will They will investigate and they'll get all that off there. Dog-proof traps are great. They probably cost a little bit more and they take a little more work, but you can put a bunch of them out. They're small. I mean, you can hold one in your hand and you don't have to worry about catching a, a bobcat or a, a coyote. Um, and they're really, really effective. Really effective. Once you master those, I'm going to say spend a season or two using cage traps, dog-proof traps. You can start moving into footholds, moving up to some of those bigger predator species like coyotes. If you want to try to make a little money and you want to catch beavers, you can start getting into snares and conibears um, in, in waterways. But again, you're going to have to invest a little more money because you need waders. You need waders or good boots. 
to get in the water. You're going to have to have a waterway that has those species in them um, and start looking for slides and areas to put those. But I, I would suggest cage trap, dog proof, then start going with your footholds and learning the difference about what a bobcat likes and what a coyote likes from the areas to the presentation. The best thing you can do when you start moving up past really anything past raccoon. If you start targeting species past raccoons and opossums and skunks and those kind of smaller species, find someone with experience. Find someone that knows what they're doing. Take a class that's offered by your state agency because all you are doing, if you take a foothold trap and you go out and you just experiment for a year or two or take 10 traps and start experimenting with them, all you're doing is educating the animals that you're trying to catch and you are making your job so much more difficult. Remember, you are trying to get an animal that has no limit to where it can go. It can go wherever it wants to step on one little two inch by two inch area so that you can catch them. Once you educate them, it's nearly impossible to catch them again. You really, really have to get tricky. So you're saying that, that the animal does learn. Yes. So you may have to move it or, or try to trick them another way. Yeah, you can yeah. experiment with baits or lures. I mean, if, if you go to... Uh, some of the trapping stores online or even Bass Pro has a little bit of it. Uh, it. There's not a whole lot of retailers that carry it, but there are so many lures and scents that you can use for trapping. Um, I One of my favorite things to do is what's called a dirt hole set with a foothold, and you're actually digging a dirt hole kind of beyond that trap, trying to encourage them to mess around there for a while. And you can put bait in there. And venison scraps, if you're a deer hunter and you have some venison scraps or old meat from your fridge. I like to try to stick with the natural things that may actually be out there. You could even trap a mouse and put a, a, a mouse or a rabbit piece after you went rabbit hunting. Stick it down in this hole that you dug so that they're having to work around that trap set long enough until they finally hit that pan and you can catch them. Um, you can kind of learn and experiment with all these different types of baits and lures to try so, to trick these animals. So you're telling me that marshmallows are are uh, natural because you taught me a marshmallow trick. Well, that's more for raccoons. Raccoons <laughs> oh, okay, are just okay. so curious. And I mean, they, they eat garbage, like anything that is, is fragrant and, and you can really smell marshmallows and they're white. So they're eye catching. And, and again, you are keying into that animal's behavior. It's good for yep. a coyote. That's going to scare a coyote. Yep. So you really have to learn about these animals. That is honestly one of the huge secondary benefits of trapping and we don't have time in this episode, but when you get into trapping, when you start to get more serious, that's why I say to learn from someone that has experience and done, has done it because you won't even know what all the gear you need. I mean, I have a, a whole tub of things here. There's stakes, and if you're on YouTube, you can see you need a sifting pan. If you don't have a good sifting pan, you can't disguise your set well. A good pair of scissors, what kind of peat moss to buy, what kind of wire to buy how to secure your trap, how to hammer the stakes in, how to cross them. I mean, there is so much that goes into the tiny little details that make a successful trapper, especially with these, what I'm going to call cagey species, bobcats, coyotes, otters, these animals that are hyper, hyper aware and even have better senses to us. They are trying to survive every day and you are trying to take that from them. Uh, so you really have to learn a lot about how to do that. It's true. Not just, I mean, going out and doing it is great, but you're only going to uh, make things harder for yourself in the future. When you are going to learn to do trapping, please take somebody with you. It, this is such a great uh, experience because you guys can all learn this together, whether you're taking a child with you, a friend, a parent. Learn this together and, and share the experience. It is so fun to do with other people. Once you get your trap line set and you get a little experience and you're checking it every single day, it is like Christmas every morning. Yeah. I mean, if you're going down a road and you know you've got a trap coming up, every yeah. turn you make, like you just can't wait to see, then you have that disappointment of, oh, the trap door's open. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like, man, uh, this next set, we're going to check it, but it, I know it's not very good. And then there's a surprise species in there. You got a red fox in a, in a coon set or something like that in a cage trap. And it is just so exciting Every single day you get to go out and do it, and it's important to share that with other people, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I've never done this, but you could definitely do this. When you're starting out using dog proofs or cage traps, you don't necessarily have to dispatch the animal. If you're just wanting to learn how to trap 
or to gain that woodsmanship, just have something to do outdoors in the winter. There isn't a whole lot to do during trapping season. I mean, you've got waterfowl hunting and trapping. Those are two two of the main things you can do. And maybe sledding. Maybe sledding <laughs> if you had the ice and snow that we've had. Um, you can release the animals. And, and I have caught several red foxes in cage traps, and because our red fox numbers are low because of coyote predation, I've let them go and, and released them and watched them run off. But you still get to interact up close and personal, get some incredible pictures with a red fox that you don't normally get to interact with. That is pretty neat. It's really, really neat. And and to be that close. I mean, the only time I see foxes, honestly, around here is crossing the road as I'm driving. So um, to see them up close is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, and and I'm trying to think, you know, on on gear. It just really is a – there's so much that goes into it from the type of hammer that you need to get. I mean, they have special trapping hammers, and and they really do make your life easier. Some of the gear you're going to look at and you're going to be like – What's the point of that? And then when you're going to start trapping, the kind of gloves that you wear, yeah. having the right kind of gloves even. Um, I have a bucket full of polyfill that you stuff pillows with. And what in the well, world would you use that for? Well, yeah. it's to go underneath your pan to keep uh, debris from going underneath the trigger pan. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of tips and tricks. There's so much. If you are wanting to get started, I mean, reach out. Yeah. We would love to send would, you uh Brian could even create you a checklist, you know. If if you're if you're local, I'd be glad to even come out to your property and if you have traps to to teach you how to set some of them. Uh the options are really endless. We could we could set up a Zoom call whatever. We would love to help you. So please reach out. If you have comments or questions about trapping, you can leave them on this YouTube video. If you're a, a listener on a podcast platform, you can follow Facebook or Instagram. Leave us questions on there. Maybe we'll post some some trapping tips here. In the coming days, please subscribe on YouTube. Tell a friend if you appreciate some of the content we're putting out. That is the best way to help a podcast is to tell somebody else about the podcast so that a podcast can gain another another viewer, another listener. Uh, subscribe on the platform that you listen on, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. Hit the automatic download button so you get every single episode because downloads are the name of the game in podcasting, and, and we need as many of those as we can get please leave a review on those platforms too man if you leave us a it rating help. yeah whether it's a one or a five and a review Huge. it helps us because we know what we're doing well and or what we need to work on um, and that is so important to us because we don't get that much feedback no we don't and that's why we're asking you right now to, to help us out um so stop right now take some time knock that out before we wrap up i'd said in the beginning that we had talk a little bit about the illegal side um, and that's where I want to get into just real quickly about the survival trap. And mm. some of the stuff that we're talking here, the survival trap is illegal to do out in, in your forest, in your woods. Um, there are things that would be illegal to do because of the guidelines that are set for everything that Brian's talked about. But I want to quickly go over just to help you see that there is a little bit of, a different of a mindset, a, a different uh, experience when trapping for what we'll call a survival situation. And so first, Brian hit it on the head when he was talking about energy gained less than energy expended. And and I think that's, if that's the only thing you take away from this, then then take that. You're, it is so important to maintain the energy you already have. And if you're going to be using more energy than what you're going to get from from whatever animal that you're trapping, then it isn't worth it, right? And you're going to have to then look at setting multiple sets or multiple traps, we'll call them, to where you have more food than what you're going to be using to go obtain them. And so with that, there there are some different types of survival style, you know, traps. Brian, you earlier talked about like a Paiute deadfall uh, figure yeah. four set. Like there are some differences where you're basically using sticks, twigs, rocks, and primitive. you're trying to... to very s- primitive. Yeah, it's very primitive. You're trying to to squash, smash. You know, when I look at what the definition of trapping is, um, this helps me here because trapping by definition is a device or enclosure designed to catch and retain animals. And then it says typically by allowing entry but not exit. Now, I want to share, though, that on the survival side, a trap is designed to catch animals, but also be thinking about trapping water. So... Food, fire, shelter, water are the core four that we have to have. And a trap isn't just for animals. It's also for water as well because you want to trap, you want to catch, you want to keep that collection of water. And so you have to be in this mindset of those are the two things I need is food and water. How am I going to trap them? Then you got to think about location just like modern day trapping. 
But inside of your location, I want you to be thinking about an acronym called BFARM, B-F-A-R-M. And so what can I trap? And it's anything. In a survival situation, I am trying to trap anything, but the question is what is in my area? Even a mouse. Yeah, so birds is B. F on your farm is going to be? Fish. Fish, good. A is going to be? Aardvarks. Oh, no. Amphibians. Oh. And then we finish off uh, with reptiles and mammals. Did I hit all four birds, fish, Aardvarks. amphibians, reptiles, and mammals? You got them. So be thinking that. What bee farm is in my area? What do I have here? Am I flipping rocks to find? Am I going to the waterways? Am I using the trees? Um, am I trying to catch yeah birds, the things that are in the air that's going to be flying? So that gets into a crazy full episode that maybe we need to do on a podcast, but All just a quick survival trapping. You know, you talked about snares. Um, snares are going to be your number, your number one. And why I say that is because they are lightweight. Um, this is something that you can already take with you, having your survival, your bug out bag. If you're in a survival situation where you didn't provide or, or take any of that, um, you know, if you find wire, um, you have a wire snare there, but you can make a snare out of any type of cordage. You could take a, a paracord bracelet apart and make a snare out of it. Right. And what that snare basically is, and that's what I want to show you here, a snare is basically you're making a loop. It's a noose, um, and I'll leave it at that. It's a noose, and you're you're needing that animal to walk through it, yep. um, hopefully catching around the neck. Sometimes it's around the body, but you want it around that net. And, and where the skill comes in is, is where do I set this up? Am I going to do it on a, a branch and prop it up against the tree trying to catch a squirrel? Am I placing it out and, and adding now twiggies and, and, and attaching this to twiggies to where as the bird is flying through or down, it may come into that. There's a lot to talk about there, but a snare is one option. Another, though, for like your bug out bag in, in, in survival, you know, most of us are used to mouse traps. Uh, you're thinking the little tiny wooden block mouse traps. You can purchase rat traps. They're much larger. What would yeah. you say? That's three times, four times four as times, big. Yeah. Um, you know, purchase a rat trap. And just like a snare, you have to remember that you need to anchor it to something. It needs to be anchored, whether you're tying it off to the limb, whether you're tying it off to a rock, or you're taking a stake and staking it into the ground. So buy, your, buy the, the rat trap, drill a hole through it, put some paracord through it, or... Per, preferably wire, so that that animal can't bite through and, and uh, uh, cut through your paracord. Attach that wire, stake it into the ground, because in the event that you are only catching a limb or a body part, they can still run away with these right. things, right? So you want to be able, you know, Brian talked earlier also about losing, you know, your traps. It is very easy to lose these, and so you want to anchor them down so that when you approach if the animal isn't dead, you can dispatch it quickly and they haven't ran away with your whole set. So you are saying that in a bug out bag to mm -hmm. put a rat trap. Exactly. Yes. Well, I have several bug out bags and I have no rat traps in them. Do you have a snare? No. Then then I would add a way of trapping because yeah. remember as you set these traps and there's you can make funnels using twigs, uh, grass, you know, there's a lot to talk about within the trapping and the survival mindset. But I do want to finish with the illegal part, that you can't just go out and practice this. Now, you can practice this by setting them up and looking at how you would anchor, but you cannot leave them because it is illegal. Yep. Um, and it's illegal. You cannot go out and hunt for chipmunks, for mice, moles, rat shrews. But in a survival situation, you're going to say, My, so what? I'm just surviving. Correct. I, I'm going to break the wild game law of using a snare on land because, because life, I need to survive. Correct. Yep. But you can't go out and practice this in your backyard um, in regards to leaving it to see if your setup worked. I, I will say, like if you watch Alone or some of these survival shows, they go to places that they have to follow the wildlife regulations. True. And yes. so a lot of them, you will see them using snares. So it is okay for them there. You have to know the laws you and do. regulations you where do. you live. Missouri yes. is that a snare has to be underwater. Yeah, and... You know what you're what you're probably going to be catching if you're you're going to go for small birds. Uh, you want to as big as you can get, right? Yeah. But a lot of this is going to be for your chipmunks, for squirrels, for mice, rabbits. rats, rabbits, yep. and it is illegal in the state of Missouri we live to hunt for mice, moles, rats, shrews, chipmunks. Yep. There is no season for them, so we're not able to. And then people ask, then, well, what about 
Is it illegal to do it in your home? No. That's why you can set out your mouse traps, rat traps. Yep. Um, if you want to try to set up a snare because you have a mouse loose in your house, <laughs> give it a try. But it's, it won't be as efficient as the you know modern day uh, mouse trap. So a lot ben, more to talk about there, but but yeah, maybe I'll, we I'll should do a whole episode. I'm, I'm glad you included that in. I'm sorry I skipped over that in our outline, and I almost wrapped up this podcast without letting you throw in your survival trapping. I think it's really important, and it's something we've both taught individually to different classes before, um, but it is a great skill to have, even to learn some of those primitive ones, Yes. so that if you get in a situation where you don't have any of this, you can literally grab sticks and make a, a figure four to hold up a rock to smash the squirrel if you need to do that just with natural resources. So I think um, trapping, there's a lot that, that overlays here between what you're talking about as far as finding where the animals live to modern-day wildlife management yeah. tool trapping is what we'll, we'll call it for this episode. Uh, but it is totally different. You see all the metal here on YouTube on top of our, our table, and then he's just got a little little pile over there. So it's a totally different world, but I'm glad that you included it. Yeah. Uh, again, any comments or questions, please leave them down below here on YouTube, whatever platform you're listening on. If you're a podcast listener, please leave us a review. Hit the automatic download and subscribe button so you get every episode. Tell a friend. We need the podcast to grow, and the we best way it, to please. do that is your mouth telling other people. And we are so appreciative that you listened or watched today. We're going to be back next week with a brand new episode. We hope that between now and that time, you remember you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.